Greetings, orca advocates, ocean lovers, and fans of fact-based reality and reality-based facts. Welcome to Scanna. I'm Mark Laren Young. Last year, when Toronto's Planet in Focus asked to host the world premiere of my documentary, The Hundred-Year-Old Whale, I was thrilled. Until I checked the calendar and discovered I had pretty much the coolest scheduling conflict ever. I was set to be in Oregon for an American tour for the launch of my book, The Killer Whale Who Changed the World. So Rain Banu, the movie cinematographer and our podcast producer, went to Toronto to walk the green carpet with our movies producer, Tony Wask. While she was there, Rain talked to Julia Barnes, writer, director, and star of Sea of Life, a beautiful and vital movie that's picked up awards at about a dozen festivals around the world. So this episode, Rain's doing the interviewing, she's also doing the producer, and I'm just saying hi, and thanking the people who made it possible for us to do this. Our amazing podmates who sponsor us through Patreon.com. People like Jamie Kiyamata, Eagle Wing, Nancy Campbell, Simon McNair, Joseph Planta, host of the fantastic interview podcast Planta on the Line, and Yosef Wask. We've had a few people start to help us out who are keen on Scanna, but not so keen on Patreon. So if you'd like to make a one-time donation to us just in time for Giving Tuesday, we've just set up a Scanna tip jar at PayPal. We've got links in our show notes and our newsletter, or you can send us an email to scanapod at gmail.com. That's scanna with two A's, pod at gmail.com, and we'll let you know how to send us an e-transfer or check. Since everyone knows that podcasting and documentaries are where everyone goes to make the big bucks, I thought I'd let you know that the money we get for Scanna helps us pay for web hosting space and hard drives, because all these interviews take up space online and off. You're helping us pay for the gear we need to record the interviews. You're helping us license our music through SoCan, so musicians can get paid. And you're helping us pay honorariums to the awesome co-op students and interns who make these podcasts possible. And now, Scanna producer Rain Banu talks to Sea of Life filmmaker Julia Barnes about diving into the deep end to make her first movie at 16 years old and what you need to know about what's happening with our oceans. So, Julia. Yes. So great to be here. And uh, I just wanted to say welcome and thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And I'm wondering if we could start, if you could just tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, Well... I made a documentary um, mm-hmm. all about uh, the big issues that are facing the ocean. And it's not really about me, but I ended up being in it. Um, and I never planned on becoming a filmmaker, but this is something that I really felt like I had to do after I learned about what was happening to the oceans. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it, the documentary is called Sea of Life? Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about the issues that you wanted to talk about surrounding the film? Sure. Um, I think the biggest issue facing the ocean right now is ocean acidification. So most mm-hmm. of the carbon dioxide that we release into the atmosphere doesn't stay in the atmosphere. It gets absorbed into the ocean, making the ocean more acidic. And in a more acidic environment, any animal that builds a shell or a skeleton can't form. And that's most life in the ocean, including coral reefs and the plankton that produce most of the oxygen in the air that we breathe. So this is a massive problem for all life on Earth. We've been through five mass extinctions in the history of the planet, and at least four of them have been attributed to ocean acidification. And the acidification that we're causing right now is happening much faster than it has at any time in the past. So, yeah, it's a massive issue. Absolutely. You pretty brat! Look what you've done! How long did it take you to learn how to film underwater? Um, I really just threw myself in the water with an underwater camera mm-hmm. and just learned everything on the go. So it really wasn't like there was one date where I felt like I, I had learned it, I had figured it out. It was just kind of a learning curve. So when I started, I was terrible, and my filmmaking underwater has just constantly been getting better. But yeah. Yes, yeah, so I, re- I really wanted to talk to you about that because mm-hmm. the uh, the underwater footage and the film is astonishing and really beautiful 
and the close-ups of, mm-hmm. of the coral, and just really incredible. Um, and I was sort of curious about your process, both in learning how to do that, but also um, I think for a lot of people, when they see footage like that, it just feels like worlds apart from anything that they could do. Right. Um, so I'm curious just a little bit about your your experience with it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you do the shooting yeah, and absolutely. what that looks like. Sure. Well, so basically I take my little camera, which is a Canon 5D, and put that in an underwater housing and mm-hmm. just leave it recording the whole time and, and I jump off the back of a boat and I'm diving underwater and just capturing everything that I see, which is cool. Um, the first place that I went diving, went looking for coral reefs, was the Florida Keys. And so I kind of, you know, I didn't know anything about filmmaking when I got started. So the idea that I had was that I would go down to the Florida Keys, film underwater for like a week, and then I would have all the footage I needed to make this documentary. And of course, that was not the case. But what I really found shocking about filming there, I mean, it was it was both beautiful because it was my first time filming in the ocean underwater. Mm-hmm. So it was my first time witnessing a coral reef, and I thought it was the most amazing thing I had ever seen. But at the same time, I went back and looked at pictures of this area from 50 years ago and realized that the coral reefs there right now are pretty degraded compared to what they used to look like. So it quickly became clear that finding a healthy coral reef was going to be a lot harder than I ever imagined. So this little film that I thought I could finish in less than a year ended up taking three years and taking me to seven different countries all around the world. Wow. On a kind of quest to find a healthy coral reef and to figure out how we're going to save them. Yeah, no, it's really heartbreaking, the whole thing. And uh, what countries did you go to? Let me see if I can remember them. Okay. Um, Canada is one, Mm -hmm. United States, um, the Bahamas, uh, Ecuador for the Galapagos, um, Australia, Paris, and Mexico. Yes, got them all. Okay. I always forget one, but that time I got them all, yay. (laughs) Right. and how difficult was it to, um, like, did you find a guide when you went to different reefs? Did you take an expert with you, or yeah. did you just dive in and, and do it yourself? I was always taking uh, an underwater guide with me, for sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, and I know you talked to a lot of scientists, mm-hmm. um, and it, the, the, their observations in the film are both horrifying and also really amazing you know it's kind of a culmination as you know Um, I'm curious as you were learning in the process of making the film was there a moment for you that like you would say was like the moment that was the most heartbreaking or where you felt like really overwhelmed by the experience for sure Um, absolutely yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. And would you say education is probably the most important thing we can be doing? Absolutely. Education is super important. I think there are so many people out there who don't even know that these issues exist. And I think if if people understood that the world we depend on, everything we love and everything we depend on is in jeopardy, then they would want to fight for its protection. Why do you think people don't? I think most people don't know what's happening. I mean, somehow I managed to go through, what, like 10 years of the school system up until I was 16 mm. years old, not knowing any of this was going on. You right. know, I, I didn't know that the forests were in trouble. I didn't know that the oceans were in trouble. I didn't know we, we had lost 90% of the fish in the ocean. But I think if more people understood that this insane catastrophe is going on, that they would start mm. stepping up and, and fighting for the world we depend on. You know, a lot of people, I think, feel like the whales have been saved. Like, I hear people often talk about it as, like, a success story, and I'm like, whales are still not doing very well. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? Like, what was the most amazing thing you learned working on the film? And in general, like, as you're studying this? Um, you know, I went to a marine reserve when I was making this film in Cabo Pulmo in Mexico. Mm. And what was amazing about that is that the area had been almost completely like overfished to, to the point where there was pretty much nothing left. Right. And within the span of 10 years of declaring it a marine protected area and ending all fishing in the area, the biomass in the ocean increased by 
So when I went to Cabo, you know, there were schools of fish that were massive, so big that they would circle. They were, I would spin around, and there, there's fish all around me. So I called it a fish tornado because that's, that's what it looked like. Wow. It, it was incredible. And yeah. so what inspires me the most is the fact that nature will come back if we give it a break, if we, if we let it. Mm. So, yeah, life wants to live. Instead of letting live sharks rain down on people, we're going to get in that chopper and throw bombs into the tornadoes. That's a good way of putting it. I like that. I like that a lot. One of the, one of the things that really impressed me um, is you're talking about this idea that we treat fish as commodities and, mm -hmm. and yeah. sea life as commodities. We talk a lot about personhood, right? right? And the idea uh -huh. with orcas and other cetaceans that, you know, they should be non-human person. Right. I was curious if you had any thoughts on that in general. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, fish are people. I consider them people. I right. consider them friends and, and equals. You know, I, I don't look at them as a commodity. But yeah, it's, it's crazy how we treat the ocean. But I think a lot of that comes from the fact that we've never, a lot of people on land, you know, we interact with the ocean every day in terms of, of our, our purchases. But we, a lot of people have never been in the ocean. They've never met a fish. And so when, right. you, when you meet the life in the ocean, it's a completely different experience, you know. Like people interact with their dog, and, and so they can understand the, the intelligence and the, the sentience there. But people don't understand fish. They don't interact with fish on a daily basis. So, yeah, fish, fish are definitely worthy of, of being considered people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I personally think every creature here... Yeah. It's all, I mean, I think the planet's sentient. Like, mm -hmm. it's all got yeah, a life absolutely. force. Yeah, I agree. And an Plants are sentient. Yeah. I've been doing reading about that, and, and it's absolutely crazy. And we're taught that, you know, there's this chain of being, and humans are at the top, yeah. and then everything goes down from there. Right. Yeah. But the reality is completely different. I understand people who see the futility because it's like, we might ban a pipeline, but... You're never going to get a politician that ends the use of fossil fuels, you know? That's maybe. Maybe. But if you change the way that... Because, you know, we don't use this pipeline, we're just going to do something different that's also destructive. Well, that's true. If we're working within this paradigm of, of well, a growth economy and, and, that's the issue. and an extractive economy. But there also have to be more, I think, if you restrict... And we need to change the job title of politicians yeah and also where the money is coming from yeah yeah politicians having to raise money it's less i mean it's a problem here it's a bigger problem in the u.s mm -hmm. where the amounts of money needed to run and to maintain your they're just working to keep their job really yeah. i mean that's all it's about and they're yeah. also oh exactly if you and only it's so have short term right they're, they're in there for four, four years, years and then whatever and that's the thing. And yeah. they'll commit to things that are going to happen after they're out of office. That's and easy. then, oh, the next guy comes in and says, no, we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, you mean like the climate accord and like all that <laughs> stuff that's going yeah, on yeah. right now? I know. They all agreed to it, but it's going to come into effect like years later. And who's actually going to stick to it? I don't know. Well, exactly. I know. It's, uh, yeah, that, it's a huge... I mean, there's so many problems, like systemic issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why we keep thinking, like, corporations should not be people, but since they are, why don't we expand the definition of personhood to incorporate other species, hmm. right? Right. Because yeah. if corporations made things really bad very quickly, I mean, there were problems before, but, like, this is mm -hmm. awful. So if we could give orcas or dolphins personhood status, that would change how we have to relate to the oceans, mm -hmm. right? right? And it would help yeah. other things. Right. Yeah. Mark's been really big on this. He wants his next uh -huh. project is going to be about personhood. He wants to talk That's about cool, that. Right? I mean, I think yeah. it could help a few species, but I hate the way people try to define a person or define intelligence yes. with just having to do with how closely they relate to us. Like we're the most unintelligent. Yes. Yes. We're the only species that's destroying the, the world we depend on. That's not a measure of intelligence. Oh, I agree. But people try to you know, measure the intelligence of other species based on how closely they resemble our own. But not just that. If you look at the history of intelligence testing, uh -huh. uh, it was used um, to prove that black people were less smart. It was right. all culturally yeah. based. It used to be yeah, based yeah. on using the right utensils. They're just going to use they whatever keep changing measurement the suits what they want to find. Yes. Yeah. But the issue is that for the scientific community, intelligence does seem to be like the benchmark. Uh -huh. So so we look at that and legally 
personhood has a definition, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. In law, and yeah. now it's expanded beyond humans. Yeah. So we think like, hey, let's push it. Oh yeah. But I do agree. I, it could I help. Think... It could definitely help a few species. Yes. Who, who managed to fit that criteria? Yes. But the rest of the species are still are still screwed. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But but I do think like if you have to respect territorial rights of orcas, mm-hmm. then that's those awesome. oceans get if left can, alone. If we can get that, that's great. Yeah, and yeah. then there is the whole apex predator thing, yes. right? Yeah. Um, I know. Yeah. But it, it's just yeah. It's like know. it's like there's certain things that we can do to win certain battles, but they might not like morally match what we believe in on the whole. But yes. it's like but it's closer strategically to... probably a good idea to buy yes. into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think what it does is it because I mean, if you believe that every species is an, is sentient mm-hmm. and intelligent, yeah, you can't go there like with somebody who's totally opposed to that idea or thinks humans yeah. are like the top of the food chain. Mm-hmm. So if you can just expand it a bit, and then you can expand it the next bit, and then we could just keep, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's the hope. Pushing the envelope, <laughs> and it just goes down one by one. Because yeah. people need to get accustomed to an idea, and if they, if children were born who believed that they were. I mean, I think a lot of people believe that anyway. I don't think it's a hard sell. Yeah, no, it's not. It, it's yeah. it should be an easy thing. Like there are countries that have declared that mm-hmm. dolphins are already oh, yeah. people and have rights yes. and things like that. Yeah, just yeah, getting people to see things that way is mm-hmm. the challenge, right? I think the reason why it's hard for people to view other creatures as sentient is that we kind of have this definition of sentience means sentience means we can't cause harm to that species yeah or to that individual so if we define everything as sentient then we can't eat <laughs> but it's like well you don't have to i mean you can know that something is sentient but also know that you have to consume something in order to survive yes. yeah no totally i think that's maybe the roadblock that that is stopping a lot of people from well, going there and people are resistant to the idea of change and they think mm-hmm. they're going to have to change everything mm-hmm. if they accept that any of this is true and so if you could just that's why i think like if you can just get them to accept one part right mm-hmm. it's easier to like just even a little bit at a time because sometimes i think the roadblock is yes if i accept that 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 they're if you accept yeah. something new, then there are consequences to that. Yes, and, and yeah. there are going to be consequences no matter what. But yeah. let's, I mean, because I, I think like if you can, it's tough because we're at such a point where gradual change feels like a, a joke. Well, yeah. And yet any change is still better than exactly. no change. Yes. So <laughs> let's like move people in the right direction. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, otherwise I think it's either we make the choice now or people are going to be forced. They won't have any choice. Yeah. If we make it. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. Those ideas, this top-down chain, really comes in very strongly um, in certain religious indoctrination. And, and you know, yeah. when you're children, you learn certain ways about the world. Yeah. And so by the time you get exposed to these alternative ideas, a lot of people are very, very set in their ways, and it's frightening, and they become very resistant. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how to reach people without scaring them, right? Like welcoming them in and helping them to understand without making them feel like their whole worldview has to change. Mm. I mean... I think films are a great way to do that. I mm -hmm. mean, you get a bunch of people gathered in a theater, and the room goes dark, and then... You're kind of pulled into this world of footage and music and interviews, and it kind of allows you to reach people in a way that you can't in an everyday conversation. You know, it allows you to have a really emotional, engaging experience with people and still be driven by facts and and information and visuals and, and all these things and combine them into this one really visceral experience. And I think that's a great way to, to kind of bring people in. Right, because it's experiential. Yeah. You know, you actually feel it, and you're for that period of time you're there. You're there. You're you're on that journey. Right. Yeah. So when you make uh, when you're making movies, mm-hmm. do you edit your own work? Yeah, yeah, I do all the editing. Pretty much everything. Right. <laughs> yeah. So how do you decide what footage to use and what not to? Because I'm assuming there's you have tons of it. So much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, the way that I edited, I mean, 
again, I, I didn't go to film school or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I, the way I make movies, I've been told, is very weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> people who I work with, they're like, this is the strangest film I've ever worked on. But huh. yeah, I, I mean, it's a result of the fact that I'm just learning everything by trying it. And so mm-hmm. I went through and um, went through all my interviews, picked out the parts that I thought were the most important key things and kind of tried yes. to arrange those in a way that made sense. And um, it was a bit like putting together a giant puzzle, but you don't know which pieces you're actually supposed to include. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's very complicated. But then after that, uh, the more easy part was kind of figuring out what footage to layer over top of that. And it was just finding things that kind of fit with what was being said, but wasn't completely direct like I'm talking about a particular fish so we're looking at this particular fish it was kind of done in a way that's more poetic or something no I I understand what you mean allowing people to to draw their own conclusions and not just like showing them exactly yeah not just like show and tell but yeah yeah Um, and in terms of filmmaking what's something that you learned in the whole process of the experience about making movies that really helps you that really helps me mm-hmm. um one of the coolest things was getting to meet all the amazing people who are doing good work for the planet um i got to meet yeah. all of my biggest heroes in the environmental movement so that was really cool and really inspiring and just realizing that everyone who's doing this work we're just people you know like like there's nothing special about anyone who's doing it. everyone has the potential to be a hero for the natural world and Right, yeah. right. Um, Mark actually sent me a video called Ella Save the Ocean. Uh-huh. He said uh-huh. I should ask you about it. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about that. Sure, it's yeah. it's pretty amazing. I know. I met Ella, what, like a week ago or something at mm-hmm. a Sea Shepherd event. And yeah, she's, she's so inspiring. I cried watching her give her talk. And yeah, I was right up there filming it for her. Mm-hmm. And um, she's super inspiring. She's a seven-year-old kid who is is fighting for the ocean, and she's doing all sorts of amazing things. So she was there selling little um, metal straws and raising money for um, the completion of the Sharkwater movie. Right. So yeah, and but she does all sorts of education and, and awareness and posting online about stuff. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So how would people find her if they were looking for her? At Ella Saves the Ocean. Okay. She's on Instagram, and I think she's also on Facebook. Yeah. Wow, okay. She's super cool. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also wanted to ask you this idea that you were talking about with monsters, mm-hmm. that when people see, for example, sharks right. as monsters, yeah. it's very easy. I mean, obviously, filmmaking filmmakers like Rob and like you and something we've been working on as well and trying to talk about how we change that mm-hmm. culture of fear or the misunderstandings and the mythology around yeah. a lot of the natural world. Um, is there a particular species that you think is really lacking the love that people should really fall in love with? I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's lots of them, but <laughs> I wonder if there's... there's an ocean full of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it was really important for me to show sharks in a positive light in this movie and to show human-shark interactions the way that I experience them whenever I go into the water because my experience with sharks is radically different from the way the media portrays them. Mm-hmm. And when you meet a shark, if you just come across one on a reef, typically it'll kind of look at you and then swim away and never come back because they're terrified of us. We're foreign in the ocean and they're not used to us at all. So sharks are nothing like the way the media portrays them. So, um, but yeah, the coolest thing for me in the making of this film was getting to meet my favorite species, which is the great hammerhead shark. Oh, right. Yeah. They're in the beginning and the ending of the movie. And mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're big. They're like a 12 foot, you know, the, the largest species of hammerhead. And, but their personalities are, they're like 50% shy, 50% curious. So they'll kind of come in and check you out, but the only reason they're there is because there's tons of bait in the water. Huh. And if you swim at them too fast or you spook them, they, they get scared pretty easily. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Honey? <laughs> Why am I watching a bunch of sharks swimming around? No, is this, is this right. not the good part? <laughs> Do you want me to fast forward to something Responsible. toothier? Um, 
in terms of doing things to engage people and help them understand, mm-hmm. you know, how cool a lot of the species in the ocean are and how important the oceans are for our survival. Yeah. I mean, essential, really. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, it'd be really helpful for our listeners. Could you tell us a little bit, like, you talked about going to Mexico and seeing mm-hmm. where things were recovered. Yeah. Are there some areas where you see positive improvement and it, case studies or examples that people can look to of thing to, to show positive improvement? I know there's a lot of really depressing. Right, yeah. Yeah. Well, everything that's happening in the environment right now, pretty much every, every major issue, things are getting worse. They're not mm-hmm. getting better. So we, when I started making this movie, everyone was saying 90% of the fish, of the large fish are gone from the ocean. Now it's 90% of all fish. And, yeah. and, and you know, everything is declining on the whole. Yes. So things are not looking good. Right. Um, positive examples, absolutely. When you set up a marine protected area, life comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think our job as a species, our task is kind of to get out of the way and to let nature come back because that can happen very rapidly. But, yeah, that's, that's where I see the positive. But, yeah, on the whole, I mean, things are awful and we need to do something Absolutely. Fast. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think all the experts that we've talked to absolutely agree. They say we're studying the problems to death. We know what's wrong. Mm -hmm. We know what to do. Yeah. We need to have political will and people need to fight. Yeah. Come with me if you want to live. That is it, isn't it? It's kind of like what's going on with North Korea. Mm -hmm. You just kind of live your life and go, well, maybe they'll blow each other. Like maybe tomorrow things will blow up. But most people just bury their heads and go to work and don't think about it. This thing is so big and looming, and everybody's just like, gotta get to work. You know? Yeah, it's On crazy. Social media it's and the crazy. Kids, the dogs, yeah, I totally. Know. Everybody in their normal lives, and it's like, we're in the biggest crisis the planet has ever been faced with. And then you and wonder, yet, was this what it was like in, in previous times? It must be. There were a whole bunch of people who just, like, Easter Island's a good example. Oh, yeah. Where oh, people yeah. just Easter continue. And live their lives yeah. and just do the yeah. same thing in oh, yeah. one day. And they, and they do more of the same thing and yeah. they speed it up. They, they thought that they could produce these heads and that that was going to save them because they were praying to their gods with these uh, giant heads. Right. And they were deforesting the island in order to make them. They were using the trees to transport the rocks. And so oh. as things got worse, they would cut down more trees to build more of these heads to pray to their gods in the hopes that that would save them. So they ended up yeah. ruining everything. Because of the, this insane culture that they had bought into, yeah, we're definitely yeah on that on that path as a culture, but yeah, we're at the point now where we still have the opportunity to change course. So yes. it's up to the few of us who know what's going on to mm-hmm. do something massive and do something now. Yeah, yeah, and be loud. Yeah, exactly, and mm-hmm. let our voices carry and do as much as we can. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think. The good part for me is I meet people all the time who really care and are working really hard. And I also meet people who are now aware because I've heard something and they're showing up and they're saying, this is awful. I have to do something about this. Mm -hmm. We're seeing more of that all the time. And I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's sharks or octopus or... There was a lady, she's doing a book uh, in BC, and it's on ways to reduce your carbon footprint when you have pets. Mm -hmm. She goes over all the issues, like cat litter, Mm -hmm. right? And what to do, and like how to, and I'm like, that's an okay place to start. Like, she loves her dogs. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, this is bad. I'm wasting a lot of things. What can I do differently? Then she looked at all the animals, like, okay, that's a place to start, right? Yeah. Pet food. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Scooping out the oceans to feed animals to feed pets, right? Because it's like chicken and beef and, and all these things that are going into pet food. So it's just like, yeah, yes. that is insanity. It is insanity. Yeah. Like uh-huh. we, ah, uh, you know, you're so right. Yeah. In so many ways. It's just craziness. Mm-hmm. I know. Why are we doing that? Yeah. I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know. The and thing. then cats are like so destructive to wildlife. Ours are indoor, yeah. for the record. Yeah. I'm very aware of that yeah. issue. Um, it's a big yes, because that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, they're predators. They're, that's what they're 
meant yeah. to do, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. There just weren't meant to be this many of them. Well, that, yes. Or a lot more wildlife. Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like what happened in Maui where they brought the mongoose over to, mm-hmm. to get rid of the snakes, I think it was. But the mong- they were on opposite cycles of time, and so now they've killed off a whole bunch of the indigenous birds. Oh, my gosh. It's like, they, yes. So much crazy stuff. Like the cane toads in Australia. Yeah, same idea. Yeah, yeah all this invasive species crap, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. we don't really think about what we're affecting. We don't respect the ecosystems. When no. we get there, we go, oh, we can make this better. Yeah. And people just seem to think we can just drop one species in and and it won't have any unintended consequences. Well, we're the original invasive species. Oh, yeah. It's like we just show up and like, oh, let's cut that down. Let's Absolutely. Uh (laughs) And you know, it's weird too. Because... (laughs) Can I put... Can I take it up for a while? That was funny. That was funny. That's... Yes. Sometimes the world no longer needs a hero. Sometimes what it needs is a monster. Well, I have to say, on the subject of invasive species, yes. um, there's all these campaigns to remove lionfish from coral reefs because they're invasive and they're okay. doing horrible things. But I look at that and I'm like, humans are doing the exact same thing on this continent that, well, not humans, but the particular ones that migrated yes. over from uh, Europe originally, <laughs> are doing the exact same thing on this continent that, that lionfish are doing to the reef. And we're not having a campaign to remove the invasive species here. If no. we're gonna, If we're going to actually tackle the issue of invasive species, let's be fair about it. Sure. The most destructive invasive species is, is, is yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But we're not. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to talk about that. No. No, nothing that affects. No, no, no. That's. I think there's that. There's nothing that affects our comfort. Mm-hmm. That yeah, requires and it big change. And here's the thing: environmental groups are like buying into that too. Like they don't hold strong on their morals. They just they just shift, and they're like, we can still keep doing everything we're doing, and and it'll be fine. And that, now they're starting to promote economic growth, as if that's what we want as if that's a good thing yes and it's like uh, what what are we doing there is an argument to be made with corporations in showing them where they can it's actually better and more profitable for them to be green and Mm -hmm. to be doing not greenwashing but genuinely to make good changes right because they won't do things for moral reasons so you have to speak their language so i get that but I don't disagree with you. Like when people feel like if they buy the right things, yeah, you know, it doesn't actually help consuming or like buying the no. Prius. Yeah, I know an electric car is only twenty five percent less emissions than a regular car. Well, when you look at the entire life cycle of it, because there's the mining, the shipping, the manufacture yeah. of the car, which causes more emissions than you, what comes up with the tail yes pipe. you're better to just drive an old beater yeah yeah no we yeah. rex weiler was talking about that like he talks about that a lot like mm-hmm. use old stuff mm-hmm. stop making new yeah. things but then i think our goal should not be just to be slightly less destructive we have yes. to be aiming for being beneficial as a species mm-hmm. <laughs> because, because being less destructive you know you're, you're taking it from a downward decline and you're just making it slightly less of a decline but it's still declining yes and, and at some point you're still gonna gonna hit the same point where you end up with nothing but don't you think even if we could get to neutral that would be a significant improvement like if we could just get ourselves to not harming things anymore like even that idea to me is such a huge if we change stop, if we stop the harm then everything's gonna come back exactly yeah and like just just zeroing out without like because sometimes i feel like we try to fix things yeah. And make them worse, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. we could just step back and just do nothing. Oh sure. All we have to do is stop the harm. If we do that, everything's solved. Yeah. Yeah. But I just don't. I don't know if people can even conceive of what that looks like. I don't yeah. know if I can conceive of what that looks mm-hmm. like. I can see parts of it, but like, how does the world have to change for that to? What does the world look like in that world? You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Here's the good thing. We have a lot of examples of what that world looks like. Yeah. You know, humans have existed for 200,000 years on this planet without destroying it. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is look back to some of the more traditional ways that humans have lived and interacted with the natural world. Yes. Yeah. That's proof that we can do it. Mm-hmm. 
We can't do it with the population we have today. But it can be done. But I do think there's definitely enough money and resources to do it. I don't think it takes money. I don't think the kind of changes we need mm. are going to be... I don't think I don't think money is really a relevant player in that. I was thinking political. I don't think we can buy our way out of it. No. Not that I think we can. I just think yeah. to affect the influence. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Maybe it's yeah. not I right to yeah to buy a politician. That's right. what I'm saying. Like, I see. To influence the system that we have, mm-hmm. I think there's enough money and resources to deal with a lot of the issues in that respect, and to make the changes mm-hmm. that would radically alter where we're going. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. I know money won't fix the actual problems, yeah. but it does help. Unfortunately, there's a need for it to fix. No. I don't know. Because things are so based on money. There's such yeah. a high value on it. Sure. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It's like you have to write a really big check just to... Yeah in that system mm-hmm. and maybe we have to step out of that system and do it without it like that male that's the thing I, I don't think we can work within the current system the system that values money above life because that's never going to work no you're right yeah no it's never going to work and if yeah. you try to get it to compute differently I mean it, yeah it'll, it'll always revert well I think the and issue here's the thing even if we got in a politician that was really great within our current system they'd probably be booted out the next day you know if they tried to actually make the kind of changes that we need there is an element of that. Yeah. I know a few I'm quite happy. I'm, I mean, they're not perfect, and I don't agree with them and everything, but that are doing some, some good work. But I do think corporations equate money with blood, like their lifeblood. And so when they hmm. don't constantly have money pumping through their system and more and more, they think blood, they're dying. When you said blood, I, I was thinking like murder. <laughs> well, there's that too. Which is, which is also that's part a, of it. But yeah. I actually think that money is their life force. Yeah. And therefore that's why there's... Well, a lot of people have that mentality. But, you but, know, they, they think money is life. But it's this idea that your food comes from the grocery store mm-hmm. versus understanding that your food and your water actually comes from soil and and streams and, and lakes. and Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. in a city, that's a harder thing for people to understand mm-hmm. because they don't have easy, readily access. They just don't have access to food. Yeah. Our landlords, the house we live in, our landlords have an organic garden in the back, and mm-hmm. it's amazing, mm-hmm. and it's all right there. Yeah, you know, makes nice. a huge, huge difference. Yeah, um, yeah, no, and it's funny how things that are there's everything has a good and a bad. Yeah, right. Technology's helping us get coordinated and do things, and it's also creating. <laughs> I think it's so great. It's great to use the tools. Um, yeah. Yeah, that we have. Well, we have them, but yeah. I know. Not to attach to them if, if that's what we need to sacrifice. I know. Yeah. I just like our tech. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. You want to like know it. the destruction that goes into a phone? You probably already I know. Too. Yeah. And the, and the human horrible. sacrifice and suffering. Yeah. 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 No, then, I. Yeah. I know. I know. It's I've nice. like committed to not buying another one. I'm still using the one that I have from when I was in grade nine. <laughs> Good and it's you. terrible. I, I can't use any apps on it or anything. I can only use it to make phone calls. That's <laughs> but, so true. But yeah. Yeah. I no, know. I know. But the, the thing is, I mean, it doesn't matter whether I buy a phone or don't buy a phone. It's, it's all still happening. And, and when this one eventually breaks, I'll probably have to get another one. But mm-hmm. it's fine. We use the tools while the system still exists. But Right. Yeah. Right. Until it doesn't. Yeah. Or we can get better tools. We don't need phones because we all just live in communities and we can talk to the people around us. What? Don't make me talk to people. <laughs> I want to stay. I want my headphones. But no. <laughs> no, there's a lot of that these days. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be real. The big challenge is people like their tech. Oh yeah. And they are getting more and more isolated and yeah, losing their ability. I know. To I, I think it, it's causing more problems than it solves, or than it. It's causing more issues than benefits. I mean, obviously. Yes. The world is being destroyed. Yes, I know. I know. The optimist in me wants to believe that we can at least find a way to keep some of the good elements and not have to throw it all out the window. But I get that that may not be possible. Yeah, I think it all comes at a cost. It's probably I don't, I, like I don't think you can have. I don't think you can pick and choose certain bits without having the whole system in place. 
you know like we can't have these products without a global economy and the shipping that's involved with that and oh my gosh the boat strikes with whales like I've, I've seen those images and they're shipping boats with shipping containers on yeah. them and like this is how we get our products and it's it's not worth yeah. it. it it strikes one whale and it's like what are we doing just yeah. so that we can get a stuff that's made all over the world and, and ship it here yeah yeah no absolutely yeah, yeah. no absolutely yeah i would trade away all of this for a living world and we are going to lose all of this if we don't well, that's commit the, yeah. to, to a living world. I know. Yeah. Well, that's the commitment, isn't it? Yeah. Can we do that? Yeah. I think we can. I'd let, I, I'm committed <laughs> I to I think it. if enough people have really understood these issues in detail, then I think we'd have a lot more heroes fighting for the world. And, and I think we would win. Yeah. So we're heading in that direction. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> totally agree. We are. Do you think we can do it? Like, or do you think? Oh yeah, I think we're gonna do okay. it. Okay, because yeah. that's my fear. Uh-huh. I think a lot of us are like worried that, that we're on that. Yeah. You know. Well, it's easy to because everything is terrible, but I think it's it can turn around incredibly quickly. Yes. Yeah. How long does it take to regenerate? Like when you're talking about like if you leave an area alone and don't fish it, like how long does it right. actually take? Well, in Cabo Pomo, it was. 10 years, the biomass increased 450%. I don't know, I mean, I don't know if the 450%, if that's anywhere close to what it used to be or what it should be. But, you know, once it starts increasing, it just keeps increasing. And there's all these other benefits with it, like fish sequester carbon. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, sequestration <laughs> is like a huge deal. I was so, gonna say, we and, didn't even talk about carbon sequestration. Right. That's yeah. a critical. And if we were to bring back, um, the forests on land, we could sequester more carbon than we've emitted since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. There's so many studies about this. And, and fish have the power to do the exact same thing. So it's like, we could completely turn around the, the carbon problem right. just by letting life come back. But the issue is, anywhere there's land, humans want to exploit it. Right. So they're going to Because it's a commodity. It, and... Or they're going to do agroforestry or all these horrible things that don't sequester. We can yes. just let it go back to nature then great things could happen very quickly isn't it amazing we can't just leave things alone yeah like right now we're yeah. fighting for old no, forests. There's, there's like such an urge to to destroy everything that isn't made by humans and to convert the whole planet into into strictly serving human use i know and i i mean it, it makes you wonder like why why are we so different like are we aliens yeah. genuinely like why is it that everything else on the planet well, can coexist? It's, it's not all humans either it's just this culture because there yes. are so many human cultures that have lived in balance with the natural world that's very true that's right yeah. traditionally there's just one fucked up culture that's wrecking it for everybody else mm-hmm. yeah i mean i mean oh that's such a how do you even like you changing the culture is the thing yeah that's it that's yeah. all it is yeah for people because a lot of people have heard about who are listening to our podcast mm-hmm. will have heard about ocean acidification right. and be a little bit familiar with it or at least familiar with the idea of plastic in the ocean and toxins in the ocean and that they're yeah. issues. But can you explain the scope of the problem? I think for a lot of people, it seems like something far away. Mm-hmm. Can you explain like kind of what, how big the problem is and how yeah. it's going to impact us? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, right now we're bringing on a mass extinction in the oceans and what happens in the oceans affects all life on the planet, including life on land. And of course there's there's crazy extinctions happening on land as well. Um, mass extinctions are pretty rare in the history of the planet. We've been through mm-hmm. about five of them before. We're going through a sixth one now. Um, this is crazy. And, and our species, of course, is, is not immune to this extinction. Right. We're you know gonna be one of the ones that goes if this continues. So it's an absolutely far-reaching problem. I mean, the biggest thing for me is is the fact that the plankton that produce the oxygen we breathe are declining at a rate of 1% per year. No one can survive on a planet without oxygen. Absolutely Pretty much no one. Right. So yeah, I mean, if people are wondering whether it affects them, 
course it does. And, and it's quite immediate. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, what can people do? Well, I always say do the biggest thing you can possibly think of because... <laughs> Good answer. Yeah. I really um, like that. I think we don't need, you know, changing our light bulbs and driving electric cars. Everybody kind of knows that's not going to save the planet. We need the, the scale. The problem is massive and we need equally massive action. So I think what the ocean needs right now is heroes. It needs passionate people willing to dedicate their lives to fighting for the world we depend on because we don't have much time and everything is getting worse. If people don't know where to start, can you recommend mm -hmm. some organizations or some people that you really like and would like to, you would like to send Ocean some support Arc to? Alliance is mm -hmm. an awesome organization. They helped me to make this movie. Right. And so they're doing a lot of great work in terms of education. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. Right. And uh, if people want to see your film, mm -hmm. Or find out more about it, find, more, find out more about you, how do they do that? Uh, so the website is seaoflifemovie.com. Mm -hmm. So you can go there, find all the information. Okay. And do you have any projects coming up? Yeah, I'm working on a new film right now all about um, bringing back nature. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. And any idea when that'll be coming out? Hopefully within a year or two. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, we've talked about so many ideas. It's such a big issue. Yeah. You know, I always feel like there's so, it can be very overwhelming for people, mm -hmm. right, to know where to start and what to do. And it yeah. just, it sounds, it's horrifying yeah, to hear about, sure. really. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's a good foundation. Mm -hmm. I think what I would say to wrap this up is, you know, both thank you for talking to us and for the work you're doing. Um, there's so many ways in which it's easy to feel separate and distant from the issue mm -hmm. and not feel the urgency of what's going on. And I feel like you really, what you're saying is really important. You know, do something today. Yeah. Don't wait. Yeah. Get on it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, thank you very much. And uh, I'm really, I really enjoyed the film and I'm really looking forward to seeing what you come up with next. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for checking out Scanna. If you like the show, please spread the word. Subscribe to our newsletter. Check out our Medium magazine. Visit our YouTube channel for cool bonus material, including ideas from guests like Julia Barnes on how you can make waves for orcas, oceans, the environment, and 100-year-old whales. And if you'd like to watch Sea of Life or The 100-Year-Old Whale, both movies are available at Vimeo.com. If you'd like to help us make more podcasts more often, please join our pod at Patreon.com. If Patreon isn't your thing, we just set up a scan a tip jar. You can check it out in our show notes. If the show didn't work for you, that was Sarah Kennig. And thanks for listening to Season 3 of Serial. Scanna is produced by the always awesome Rain Banu, with the assistance of Emma Eslake, Chantal Heward, Clarita Ritchie, and Josie Liechti. Now, be sure to click the subscribe button so you don't miss our upcoming episodes with Peter Volaban, author of The Inner Life of Animals and The Hidden Life of Trees, Sea Shepherd founder Paul Watson, and our friend Jason Colby talking about the history of orca capture in the Pacific Northwest in his heartbreaking and vital book, Orcas, How We Came to Know and Love, The Ocean's Greatest Predator. And now we thought we'd end off with a song we chose for Julia. We heard from these guys, they told us about what they were doing, and seriously, how could we not play music made on recycled instruments by a group called Junkyard Symphony? Check them out at junkyardsymphony.com. This is what happened to the fish, Mon?
Slow. 